0: Our text for
1: today is in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. And I'm going to remind you of the context because some of you have slept since we last met. But Paul is writing to the Gentile churches in the territory of Galatia. And these churches, these are churches that he and Barnabas founded and discipled. And as was the custom in Paul's ministry, as soon as Paul left The false teachers began to come in, and they would show up seeking to distort the gospel and discredit Paul. That was typically the two arms of their ministry. And the group that invaded these churches, and the letter is written concerning, is claimed to be coming from the Jerusalem church with great authority. And they had a greater authority in their minds than the apostle Paul and the apostle Paul was considered a lesser apostle by them because he wasn't one of the original 12. So they would dispute and distort everything that Paul had been teaching. And what they were about, they were actually called Judaizers. They may be called Judaizers in your in your translation. They were of the circumcision which simply meant that they believed that Gentiles must be circumcised and follow the part of the law to be truly saved. So they sought to bring the Gentiles under the law and had been spreading this faith plus gospel among the Gentiles. And the enemy hasn't changed, he's still about that. Last week we saw Paul was literally using Old Testament scripture to prove that justification or salvation is by faith alone. And he quotes Genesis chapters 12 and 15 and Deuteronomy and Habakkuk and Leviticus. Now the thing we know is that the law was given 430 years after Abraham. And the Judaizers knew that Abraham, it was clearly declared in the Old Testament Scriptures, that Abraham was declared righteous by faith. They knew that. Their point was that it happened before the law was given. So the Mosaic Covenant superseded the Abrahamic Covenant. And in other words, we were all still under the law. Well, Paul is proving that life cannot come from the law. Righteousness does not come through the law. The law was to capture all men in transgression. So we're looking at the law, the promise versus the law the promise given to Abraham versus the pro- the law given to Moses, and there was never any reward for keeping the law. I have yet to get an award from the city of San Antonio for not violating the majority of its statutes. I have not received a thank you letter from the IRS. They have neglected to note that I have been willfully obedient to most of their statutes. I say most because I don't know them all. Why wouldn't they send me a letter? Because it's my obligation. They're not going to reward me for doing something I was obligated to do. Well, that's what's going on. There is never any reward for keeping the law. It was an obligation backed by judgment. Last week, we ended it with uh, verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 3, and I'm going to read them just for context. Verse 13 reads, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs crucified on a tree, the cross. In order that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might also come to the Gentiles, so that we would all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Now, the blessing of Abraham is quite simply Christ Jesus. That is the blessing of Abraham. And if you want to look at the blessings that are named of God, what is called the blessing throughout Scripture, you can pretty much reckon it to be in Christ. Because God said so. Now, the good thing about that is, if you're a child of God, where are you? In Christ. So we do not need to follow the world's lead and spend time begging God for the blessings of Christ. He has already put us in the dead center of every blessing. It's already ours. Well, the Judaizers weren't having any of that. The blessing of Abraham is Christ Jesus, and the promise is that one day all men could receive the promise and be born into Abraham's seed through faith. So let's look at our text, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations, even though... A last will and testament is just a human covenant, yet when it has been signed and made legally binding, no one sets it aside or adds to it, modifying it in some way. Paul begins in verse 15 by using that very simple illustration that most people could relate to, and that is, what is the legal way a contract is handled? And once a contract is signed by both of the participating parties and declared legally binding, because a lot are written that aren't, and declared legally binding, no one can set it aside. There would be penalties for setting it aside. There would be penalties for ignoring it. Secondly, you can't just scratch out a word here or add a sentence there. I've seen that tried. But you can't do that. Once it's declared legally binding, it is in its state, as it was written, completely binding as a contract. Now, a covenant was actually more than a contract. You've heard me talk about that before. A covenant is more than a contract because it is bound and secured by the two individuals that have entered into it. It's literally bound in such a way that it is held together by their lives. And what what a covenant says is, regardless of what the other party may do, regardless of whether they fulfill it or not, regardless of how they act towards me, I will keep my covenant. Period. It is not dependent on both of them working together. It is an individual covenant covenant between the two of them that both will hold up their end okay in fact that's what you have in a marriage which is not kept up with most people think a marriage is a contract and you violate that contract and then you're left to legal remedy no a marriage is a covenant before god where one says i will hold true to my vow regardless of what the other does That may be hard to embrace, but that's the reality of the covenant. Okay? So, a covenant was actually more than a contract. So, as we discussed last week, the promises made to Abraham were secured by a covenant in which Abraham and his seed would be blessed. But it was a covenant made and secured by God, God alone. There was no man in this covenant except the recipient. God said, I will. And he does. Verse 16. Now the promises in the covenants were decreed to Abraham and to his seed. God does not say, and to seeds, descendants or heirs, as if referring to many persons, but as to one, and to your seed, who is none other than Christ. So, Paul's going to exegete this particular uh, portion of Scripture for the Judaizers. He's going to make it very plain. It is to the one, the one seed. Now, I want you to look at some of these promises that are mentioned. If you go to Genesis 12, verse 7, it says, and I want you to underline the part that I emphasize, if you're there and you want to keep up with it. But verse 7 then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants I will give this land and he there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him Genesis 17:7 7 says and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. I love that phrase. To be God to you and your descendants after you. You know what the word is used there? Now, in Genesis that we're translating out of the Hebrew. And so the word there that is used where he says to be God to you is Elohim. And that word is actually a plural word. You know what that means? It's all of them. It's the triune God. When he says I will be God to you. He's saying, I will be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to you. And I will be God to you as I define God. And if you want to know what that is, look in in, uh, Corinthians 13. Look at 1 John. What does it say God is? God is what? Love. And to be God to you is to be your provision. And to be God to you is to be your deliverer. And to be God to you is to be your protector, your keeper, your healer, your wisdom, your strength. To be God to you is to leave you wanting for nothing. To be God to you is to so enrich you that you would never need any other source. This is God's desire. He's not saying that maybe I'll be God to you. He is literally moving heaven and creating earth in order to be God to you. Sadly, we fight it. He says, I will be your God. Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. Here he says, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord... Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessings, I will bless you. I will bless you and multiply. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice i will god's promises to abraham was i will i will i will god has sworn by himself that he will and god has kept those promises from abraham to isaac and to jacob and approximately 430 years later here comes moses And receive the law. And God promises Abraham that his seed would be justified in Christ Jesus. And Paul begins in verse 16 just by giving the verse clarity. Also, you need to understand something. When Paul gives a verse clarity, it's kind of an interesting paradox. Because this is Paul speaking the Spirit of God, speaking through Paul, giving clarity to something the Spirit of God wrote. Isn't that kind of cool? That's what's going on there. So, <clears throat> God promises Abraham that his seed would be justified in Christ, Jesus. And Paul begins in verse 16 with a little clarity. Also, know that uh, the seed is a reference to Christ. The Hebrew word used in Genesis for seed is singular, it is not plural. It would indicate that there is only one heir. Only one. All of the promises are in Christ. We participate in the promises by being in Christ. We are what? Joint heirs. Joint heirs. So in Christ, we are joint heirs. We receive the blessing. We participate in the promises of God by being in Christ. One theologian pointed out that that same word that is used in uh, used there... Is used in Genesis 3, that same word for seed. It's also used in Genesis 3. It's about, it's used in the singular form, and it's the same seed that brews the serpent's head. It's the exact same seed. Well, who are we talking about? Jesus, right? The promises were conferred on Abraham through a covenant ceremony. And we mentioned this last week, but I'm going to go over it again. It's recorded in Genesis 15. A covenant was ratified by blood. Okay, the sacrificial animals were halved, and a path was made between the halves. The participant would walk the path of blood between the halves, and that would ratify the covenant. Now, God delayed. He had Abraham prepare the covenant pathway. He got it all prepared, got the halves laid out, had the, the path of blood prepared, and he delayed. And Abraham, or Abram at that point, wore himself out trying to keep the vultures away from the sacrificial animals. And then come along sunset, he falls asleep. He falls into a deep sleep. And when he falls into a deep sleep, what is described is a supernatural light. Your scripture probably refers to it as a lamp or a torch. And what they're describing is a supernatural light that passes between the halves. What I believe is that Elohim walked down that path. Father, Son, and Spirit committed to Abraham, the covenant. Committed to us, the covenant. You see, Jesus wasn't just watching TV one day when Father walked in the room and says, Hey, I'd like you to go down there and die for, uh, for those people. He was, actually, he was actually making the covenant with God. From the very beginning. So, justification, the covenant of justification came to the seed of Abram. And this is what is meant, verse 17, this is what I mean. The law which came into existence 430 years later after the covenant concerning the coming Messiah does not and cannot invalidate the covenant previously established by God so as to abolish the promise. The promise and the law are completely different. Remember, the promise was unconditional. What did Abram had to commit to do? In fact, what did Abram have to do at all? Did he even speak when God said, I will, I will, I will? No, he sat there and received. And God gave Abram an unconditional promise. But the law was conditional. The law was conditional. God did not give Moses a promise. He gave Moses the law. And to Abram he said, I will, I will, I will. And to Moses he said, you will, you will, you will, and you will not. He gave him commandments. So, the unconditional covenant could not be undone by the conditional covenant. This is what Paul is saying. The I wills were not annulled by the you wills. That makes sense? Verse 18. For if the inheritance of what was promised is based on observing the law, as these false teachers claim, it is no longer based on a promise. However, God granted it to Abraham as a gift by virtue of his promise. Now, as I said before, the Judaizers might agree that Abraham was made righteous because of his faith. The immediate response would be, yes, but God gave made a new agreement with Moses. And Paul points out that the Old Testament clearly says that the blessing came to Abraham through the promise, not by the law. And the Jewish people, this is the thing you've got to remember, the Jewish people had misinterpreted the law's purpose early on. Early on in the beginning. And had converted it into a man-centered salvation. So in the minds of the Jews, the law was a path to righteousness. It was a path that led to righteousness and favor with God. But that's not the purpose of the law at all. In fact, that is an impossibility. Verse 19. Why then the law? What was its purpose? Now, see, Paul anticipates the question that's going to be asked. Because if if you tell the Jews that it is not a path to righteousness, it is not salvation, then immediately the question comes, why then the law? Why would he give us the law? What would be the point? What's its purpose? And he writes, it was added after the promise to Abraham to reveal to people their guilt because of transgressions, and that word is important, that is, to make people conscious of their sinfulness of sin, of the sinfulness of sin. And the law was ordained through angels and delivered to Israel by the hand of a mediator. Moses, the mediator between God and Israel. To be in effect until the, until the seed would come to whom the promise was made. It had a shelf life. It was going to be in effect until... Right Now, Paul asks and answers an anticipated question. The law was added because of transgressions, right? Now, look at that word, add. It means to come alongside of, to bring something complementary, right? It came alongside, the law came alongside of the promise for a purpose, to reveal the transgressions of man. So, that brings us to that word, transgressions. Now, the word transgression literally means to rebel against the law. That's what it means. To rebel against the law. So, you can see, without the law, there would be no what? Transgression, would there? So, it literally means to rebel against the law, against Or against the standard of righteousness. Against the law or against the standard of righteousness. Sin existed before the law. We know that, right? If you didn't, guess what? It did. But guess what? Transgressions did not. They did not. Why? Because they had no law. All right, well, what's important about that? The law was given that sin might be seen as transgression or rebellion against God. Okay? That was its purpose. That sin might be seen as rebellion against God. It's not your rebellion against the rules. It's not your rebellion against, the, you know, against the, the law. It's really, in truth, your rebellion against the standard of righteousness, which is God Himself. And it needed to be made clear that you weren't standing against a written document. You were standing against a God, the God. Well. The law revealed the heart of man. The law was given so that sin might be seen as a transgression or rebellion against God. Sin is revealed as hostility, rebellion against God. It is seen in its true light. Before it was just doing something wrong. Before it was just gratifying the flesh. People didn't see the purpose in the law Because they were busy fulfilling the letter of the law in order to make it a pathway to righteousness. And God sent that very same law to reveal to them that they were literally living in hostility against Him. It was to expose them, expose their heart. The law revealed the heart of man. The law actually defined sin and produced transgression. Can you see how it produced transgression? Because without the law, there was no transgression. Okay? It revealed the curse that man was born into hostility against God. Now, Israel was given the law so that they might welcome the promise. So they would see the glory of the promise. They would understand what the promise was about. But because they had so distorted the law and its purpose, and then they distorted the purpose of the Messiah and his work and his deliverance, they made both unrecognizable. They didn't recognize Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would have followed a specific path that was defined by them, and he didn't follow it. He would have met a specific criteria that was defined by them, and he didn't meet it. This is what Jesus was constantly illustrating in his message. The law must be kept both in the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You need a new heart. If you have envied, you are a thief. If you have hated or even strongly disliked, you are a murderer. And if you think you've kept the ten, then be as holy as God is.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.